Cataluna Enriquez knows her way around an evening gown. When she started competing in pageants, she couldn't find gowns that fit, so she decided to design her own. Yeah, I think when it comes to fashion, it's not always about sizes and measurements. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's about how you drape it to the body, mm. how you place things, how you maneuver certain fabrics. Exit Spring Mountain assistant producer Nessa Concepcion met up with Cataluna at Victoria Claire's, a bright, spacious boutique in the southwest area of Las Vegas. On one side of the room, a staff member steams a flowy organza dress. On the other side, young women hold up sparkly gowns and imagine their wow moment. Cataluna is here to check out gowns, pose for a photo shoot, and sit down for yet another interview. It's a normal weekday for Miss Nevada 2021. Last summer, Cataluna made international headlines as the first transgender Miss Nevada and the first openly trans contestant at the Miss USA pageant. For her final event, she donned a shimmering, rainbow-colored sequin gown she designed herself. When I won Miss Nevada, I was wearing a rainbow gown, and... I got a lot of comments, people saying that it was too direct. But for me, the purpose of me wearing the rainbow gown wasn't because it was Pride Month, but it was because it was a part of me. And so I wanted to wear another rainbow gown to show people that Pride isn't just a monthly celebration, that it's something that is rooted from me, from my blood. It's something that I, something that who I am. Plus, a rainbow flag anywhere is also sometimes a representation of safetyness to a lot of people. Cataluna has been traveling the country, participating in publicity events, pageants and photo shoots. She's also using her new platform to talk about mental health. According to the National Alliance of Mental Health, people in the LGBTQ community are twice as likely to develop mental health issues. Cataluna hopes to be the person she needed when she was younger. You're listening to Exit Spring Mountain, a podcast from Nevada Public Radio about Asian American and Pacific Islander issues in Southern Nevada. I'm your host, Lorraine Blanco-Moss. In this episode, we're talking about the experience of being LGBTQ and AAPI and how both of these communities are addressing mental health. How do culture and stigma affect the rate that AAPI, LGBTQ individuals, seek help? Why is it harder for LGBTQ people in AAPI communities to navigate the medical system in Nevada? How does community building and how does the idea of found family help support marginalized communities when the systems in place don't work. A content warning for those listening. In this episode, we talk about homophobia, transphobia, and suicidal ideation. That's amazing. And like, Thank did you like you. know that, like how to sew as a kid or were you just kind of like, well, I got to figure out how to make this happen? I knew a little bit. I've always been very creative. Mm -hmm. I think partially because I didn't have access to many things in life. I 
didn't get along with many kids because I was different. And so I spent a lot of time playing by myself. Mm. Me and my sister shared rooms, so I would lock them out of the room so I can play with their dolls. And then I would cut my socks and sew them into dresses. Wow. So at a young age, I've been very crafty, mm -hmm. but it was also my way of coping and finding ways to entertain myself. Cataluna has made mental health outreach an important part of her platform because she's also experienced mental health challenges. The 2021 Trevor Project National Survey found that 42% of LGBTQ plus youth considered suicide in the last year. Many experience bullying and harassment. Some face discrimination, not getting the services or opportunities they need because of how they identify, and others are rejected by their own families. And in high school, I had a counselor who was always just checking in on me. And we had a mini group session where we would talk about ourselves, our family, and what we're going through and how we're feeling, if we're feeling suicidal. And at one point, I was feeling suicidal. And I think what kind of stopped me from that was just, I was tired. I was tired of praying to not be awake. I was tired of hoping I would die. I was tired of the hate. Cataluna tells us, in her experience as a Filipina immigrant, mental health can be even harder to bring up. I think we're now in a generation or a time where we can talk about mental health a lot more. Mm. I didn't have, never had access to that and never really knew anything about mental health, uh, specifically my background being Filipino. When people think of mental health, people think you're sick. That was never a conversation and vulnerability in the Filipino and I believe Asian community as well mm -hmm. is never, just doesn't exist in their background or in their school or not school, in their family. Mm -hmm. And so I never really had access to that until now when I really got to embrace myself. I think with mental health, it really started with kind of like the struggles and my fight towards accepting myself. Wow. Yeah, that's so true. Like fighting those patterns too mm -hmm. that are like engraved and like like how you said, like for me too, like being Filipino, yes, yeah, like literally unspoken. It's taboo, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Like just pray it away, like it's not real. Like yeah. so I completely feel you on that. Like, like what is shame? There's yeah. no such thing as shame in the Filipino community. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's frustrating. Identifying as AAPI and LGBTQ can be challenging identities to navigate. That's a major reason my younger sister, Noelle, decided to share her story with the community on National Coming Out Day this past year. She identifies as queer and bisexual. As a board member of the National Association of Asian American Professionals Pride Group, she helped facilitate an online discussion about the term coming out. Over the years, I knew. My parents knew. But there was never a clear moment where she said it in so many words until last year. Noelle told our parents, I'm the B in LGBT. And our mom responded casually, oh, okay, I know. Noelle jokes that it may look like alphabet soup to some, but identifying as AAPI and LGBTQ plus is important 
and empowering to her and the community. It's paramount that we are all seen and heard. So what mental health challenges are AAPI, LGBTQ plus people facing? How do we understand these intersecting identities? So with Asian American and mental health, the biggest thing that comes out of research time and time again is that Asian Americans don't seek mental health services. That's Gloria Wong Padungpat. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at UNLV. She studies microaggressions and addictions. She's also on the executive committee for the Asian American Psychology Association. And then when they do seek services, it's a lot more severe. And one of the things to help the severity of disorders is to come seek early care and early intervention. So that is one of the like, uh, reoccurring concerns for Asian Americans, is that there seems to be some barriers and access to getting the right care for them early on. Two things we always focus on is treatment and assessment. So are we assessing Asian Americans correctly and are we providing the right kind of treatment? So is it coming from the the community? Some of the research that's emerging says yes, it is. That there's a lot of stigma, a lot of loss of face. I know a lot of scholars have examine kind of the social resistance to getting mental health care. So there is something that's kind of pulling them away from mental health services or calling in to seek services. Gloria also points out that while we can try to understand the attitudes AAPI communities might have toward mental health care, it's key that we don't rush to blame entire cultures. I feel like there is a battle that's always happening with with the field, especially when it comes to understanding people on the margins. And this is not just for Asian Americans, but also for people of color, like really rethinking how psychology as a field has approached cultures or people of color. And initially, the field really had this framework of client as the problem, more of a disease model that for instance, Asian American client comes in with these issues and it's something about their culture that has the problems. Gloria says recently there's pushback on this model. And one of the resistance was really to highlight the social political impact on communities of color and not just having a simple discussion of their cultures being deficient and that we should celebrate this these differences, um, that people have multiple identities, people come with multiple cultures. I feel like that is a very comfortable discussion. For people who identify as LGBTQ plus and AAPI, this discussion gets tricky because, as Gloria puts it, how are we defining mental health? And that is a great question. What? How do we define mental health? And that's 
one of the problems we have with addressing mental health with Asian Americans, the larger field, is that who gets to define what is mentally healthy, um, which group, which lived experience really is the serves as the baseline, and that comes with a lot of abnormal behaviors too. Who's defining what normal behavior is? Is there any research being done at the intersection of LGBTQ plus Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders? There's not enough <laughs> done. I know that they're really grappling with kind of framing intersectionality, but there's work done from the University of Maryland by Thomas Lay. Him and his colleagues just put out an article on the discomfort of Asian Americans within the LGBT community and how that affects uh, psychological well-being. And then looking at the role of racial and ethnic identity as being a protective factor, which is not new to the Asian American LGBT experience. I believe that racial and ethnic identity has been studied a lot in terms of buffering the, the impact of discrimination. Gloria wants us to recognize that intersectionality is not just the sum of your different identities. There are unique connected dimensions of oppression and resilience that need to be accounted for to improve mental health care. Coming up, we talk with one Las Vegas LGBTQ plus local about the challenges of healthcare accessibility. You're listening to Exit Spring Mountain, a podcast about Asian American and Pacific Islander issues in Southern Nevada. I'm your host, Lorraine Blanco Moss. And in this episode, we're talking about how LGBTQ plus individuals in AAPI communities address mental health. Our assistant producer, Nessa Concepcion, sat down with her sister, Vera Blossom. Vera knows firsthand that having multiple identities can affect the accessibility of something as simple as a routine doctor checkup. In Asian communities, there is, in a lot of different Asian communities, there are traditions of sort of not talking about your problems or your mental health in that way, and there's sort of something that you deal with on your own. In in queer communities, there is, it's a marginalized group in the United States. The cards are stacked against you, and if you have any sort of neurodivergence, that's just going to be worsened by the way every aspect of society treats you. There's like not a lot of medical health for your normal stuff that you need to take care of, like your regular checkups. If you're trans you need like and you want hormonal replacement therapy, you have to find a doctor that understands that and also your regular health. And then if you're also having a mental health struggle, you have to find a doctor that understands that or another doctor that they can refer you to and like maybe your work doesn't really accept you for who you are or your family doesn't accept you for who you are and that doubles up if you're also Asian and queer 
you know, it's it just becomes harder and harder. Like you're sifting down and down and like the amount of spaces that you can easily fit into shrink in size. The American Medical Association provides guidance to clinics who want to create a more LGBTQ friendly practice. Their suggestions include intake forms with more boxes to check than a simple gender binary, educating your staff, and ensuring confidentiality. These are just a few basic steps, but how often do you see inclusive intake forms anywhere? The population here is growing, but the amount of resources we have access to is not. And so we need, I don't know what we need, but we need a lot more intersectional medical care um, that understands the multiple aspects of your culture and your identity and does not dehumanize you. And I think there are a lot of people in power and there are a lot of agents of violence who want to scare you and who devalue you, but there are way many more people who care about you, who love you, and I think finding those people, and it's it's both hard, but they're out there if you look <laughs> for community. Contributing in the ways that you can, and then letting them take care of you. Vera is talking about found family, the concept of creating a family with the people you find and you choose. You know, I've ch- I'm sure you heard this. I have my blood relation family, and I have my family family. That's Ernie Ewan. He's participated in the Pride Festival and has been an LGBTQ plus advocate in the Las Vegas community for more than 18 years. He is Chinese Samoan and grew up in Hawaii, where he says... LGBTQ plus individuals don't experience the same kind of discrimination they do elsewhere. Ernie says he's lucky to have both kinds of families in his life. As far as local Hawaiians, you know, Pacific Islanders go, I don't know of a family that doesn't have a gay person in it or knows someone who has a transgender gay uncle or a lesbian auntie and... That's their resources as well. I mean, I, I find it extremely hard to swallow that that would be a problem. But again, go to any any Hawaiian function here and you're surrounded by it. Ernie was still a little nervous to come out to his family. So we're all sitting around a table eating and my dad finally asked me the question and he goes, why are we here? I said, no, I just wanted to let you guys know that I'm gay. You know, that was my big coming out story. My mom continues cutting her lobster, dips it in the butter, eats it. My sister-in-law, one of them giggles. My brother keeps on eating. My dad keeps on eating. And then, oh, did you hear what I said? And then I said, Mom, Dad, I'm gay. You know, I didn't say gay. I said mahu. Mahu is Hawaiian for gay. So my dad stopped cutting and he looked at me and he goes you're not telling anything that we didn't know and then my brother says he goes is this why you bought us here and then I was like yeah and then my sister-in-law goes why here and I said because we all know how to act in a very expensive restaurant and I thought mom and dad would go ape about it and then my mom goes no, we already go. We were waiting for you to tell us. 
And I was like, oh. And then so I was like, really? And then I said, I could have took you guys to McDonald's and over a filet of fish tell all of you. And my other brother looks at me. He goes, so are you stopping dinner now? Can we not order dessert? And, you know, and we all started laughing. Ernie has been working with local organizations to help LGBTQ plus youth who don't have that kind of support. The advocacy group GLAD points out that 40% of homeless youth are LGBTQ+. So every generation, including mine, the issue with the LGBT community was homeless youth. It's a very, very strong topic. You can't hide it in any, any city. Basically, you come out and either you're in or you're not. You know, it's funny. Have you watched Pose? Okay. A lot of people in your generation think that's all make pretend. Having all that drama with your dad beating you up, having your mom disowning you, throwing your shit out in the front yard and getting kicked out and poof, you're homeless. Then going and finding your family. Vera has some suggestions about where and how to gather. I think there is always room for more community spaces for people of all kinds, but specifically Asian people, Asian communities, LGBTQ plus people to get together and take care of each other and really make each other feel human. And that includes talking about your feelings and your struggles and asking for help when you need it. But it's also about coming together and having fun and sharing a meal. And those things really do wonders for your mental health. If that means participating in mutual aid or community care or you know organizing a potluck with local filipinos <laughs> or i don't know finding other queers who want to play a remote game with you monica lapa is a board member of the united territories of pacific islanders alliance lv or utopia she tells us about a place people can go to sip tea and share tea, where you can congregate, connect, and care for each other. Tea time is basically created for, um, to, because there's a lot of transgender people or LGBTQ people out there that are going through a lot. Um, you'll never know or understand until you go through it or have a relations with someone that goes through it because there are people out there that are either um, still in the closet or going through um, some tough times within their families or struggle with their families or maybe their families just found out that they just came out to their families and the parents aren't understanding, you know, or trying to understand because they love their child, or some of them are being disowned or, you know, being kicked out because of who they are or what they are. So tea time is basically where you come, where you try and reach out to those people. And we bring a panel and then we ask questions, you know, about what we go through in life. What are some the helpful resources that are available out there in the city of Las Vegas. And then a lot of time, if you notice ever since COVID, a lot of stuff is virtual. And I think that is really helpful too, because some people are not always ready or open to sit with you in person or to 
are to say, you know, to show themselves, mm-hmm. you know, but being everything being virtual people and then with all the social media now, people are in their rooms or could be with their families because mm-hmm. they're not ready to let the other families know. So this gives them an opportunity to think of ways that they could work together or maybe a message from someone, one pe- person in the panel could relate to someone that's going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then that's, they can be able to relate and find an answer to any questions or concerns that they are, they are going through at the time. UNLV psychology professor Gloria Wong-Padungpat says socializing with like-minded people is essential to mental health. And that we do need each other to move forward and make strides. And how do we exist with a larger community? And so I've noticed that that shift with more, in sense, positive approaches to the marginal experience. I think time and time again, the the consensus and finding is that having that social support for LGBT folks is critical, if not number one, for well-being. Cataluna Enriquez, Miss Nevada 2021, knows just how powerful seeking out mental health assistance can be for her, for her communities, and for everyone who hears her message. I'm going to push more on just mental health. One, one thing that I learned with Miss USA was oftentimes for me as a trans person and not just Miss USA but mm-hmm. as a trans person the one who I guess made a historical change but I am more than that you know I'm a survivor of physical and sexual abuse I advocate for uh, mental health and being positive with your body regardless of what it is and how you look and just overall be confident mm-hmm. having self-love so I really want to focus on that and venture off being an example in media and to be that representation, be that voice, and really just show the world that I'm not just a trans person, that I'm also human, yeah. and that I too suffer, that I feel pain, but at the end of the day, I also thrive, and I, you know, I try my best to be the best version of me, and that's like one thing that I think every person should at least try to be or aspire to be, just be happy, yeah. happy with themselves. You've been listening to Exit Spring Mountain, a podcast from Nevada Public Radio. We record this show on the lands of the Southern Paiute people. Thanks to our guests this episode, Miss Nevada 2021, Cataluna Enriquez, Gloria Wong-Padungpat, Vera Blossom, Ernie Ewan, and Monica Lapa. Special thanks to Victoria Clare, Kevin Crawl, and Noel Blanco. This podcast was made possible with support from Arcata Associates. Music in this episode is courtesy of Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was written and produced by assistant producer Nessa Concepcion with support from executive producer Sonia Cho Swanson. Our team also includes academic research consultant Mark Padungpat and research assistant Carly Call. Joe Shaneman oversees podcasts as news director at Nevada Public Radio. And our sound editing, mixing, and mastering is by Regina Ravazova of Open Conversation. I'm your host, Lorraine Blanco-Moss. Make sure to like and subscribe 
wherever you listen to podcasts. And take time to tell someone you have their back. As always, thanks for listening. We appreciate you.